Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Standing for the reading of God's word, that'd be great. If you guys could uh, remain standing, we're going to read uh, from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Uh, if, you, if you want a Bible at some point, there's some right here in the middle. But Mark 14, 1 through 9. It's not on the screen, but you can listen. Um, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, speaking of Jesus. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like this? Why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, that's a year's wages, by the way, and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before my burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Man, word of the Lord. Let's, let's pray. Um, God, I, I just uh, pray that you would um, speak to us today. God, I pray that we'd just be overwhelmed by your love if we haven't already, Uh, that we would just be completely wrecked by how much you love us. Um, And if you would, um, I want to give you just a moment of silence to just ponder God's love and his beauty for you personally. Um, If you would just take a moment of silence and just um, ask God to show you how much he loves you today. God, we love you and uh, pray you teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. I want to, uh, we are in a series on prayer. This is our last week, and I want to allow this story of this woman in Bethany. Uh, the Gospel of John says that this woman's name was Mary, uh, the same Mary that sat at Jesus' feet at Martha's house that we've heard about. I want to just invite her to school us on prayer today. Uh, as I think what her act was, was a very active prayer. And so just enter in the story with me. Um, let's just jump right in. Uh, it was the time of Passover. This was a time when um, Jews would have been gathering in, in big crowds to come to celebrate the Passover feast. So an uproar of people, a, a, a huge uh, just swarm of people would have been entering into this festival. Uh, and Jesus gathers one last time with his closest friends. If you remember, uh, Lazarus was, uh, John says there's a couple people in this home, in this meal. Uh, there was Lazarus, right? You remember Lazarus, the guy he rose from the dead, who he, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, it says he wept over Lazarus' life. There's Simon the leper, which we don't know, uh, clearly he doesn't have leprosy anymore, we don't know, but we can pretty much assume that Jesus probably healed Simon of leprosy. Uh, we have Martha, 
right? Martha was even busy in John's gospel, this story of still cooking a meal, and she's always running anxiously. And then we have Mary, who comes, and as they're sitting, imagine the guys are around talking theology, and, and she decides to spontaneously take this oil that was worth a year's wages. So imagine around, uh, in Chicago standards, I don't know, 70K, she comes in with uh, $70,000 worth of, of perfume, and uh, it only lets out a drip because of its expense, and she breaks it over the top of the neck of the bottle and pours it all over Jesus' head. Um, in this moment, um, you would have probably heard utter silence. Uh, you probably would have heard just, this would have been, there's no way around it, even in this time, this would have just been awkward. It would have been super weird, right? Like, of, of like why, you hear the silence of even the response of the disciples. Why this waste, right? And so Mary, in her um, just, just spontaneous love for Jesus, uh, pours this, this act upon Jesus, so much so that it runs all over his beard. And the other gospel says that she anoints his feet. So we know that he would have been drenched in this perfume. Now, I thought it might have been a good sermon illustration to bring some perfume and break it and let the aroma just kind of, you know, spill over. But, you know, those decisions usually go great in your head and bad in real life. So I decided <laughs> just not to do that. But you can imagine just the smell of this room, um, just p- p- poignant, uh, strong, um, um, this, this, this amount of, of, of oil. Now, scholars all agree, how did she get this oil? We don't know. Um, what we can discern was is that as a, as a time where, where women didn't really have vocations, this probably was her inheritance, uh, her inheritance that she would have received. Now, you've got to remember what she's doing with this inheritance. A year's worth of wages, um, just broken apart. Uh, it, it, she was giving up a lot of things. One, she was giving up everything she had. Number two, uh, this would have been the dowry price back in that time. The, the, the bride would have paid a dowry price to get married to the groom. That family would have paid the groom's family a price, and then this would have been used for that. So she was basically saying, um, all other futures of that are gone. Um, all of my love, everything I have, everything I hold on to, Jesus, is for you. Now, what I want to do is let Mary teach us some things on prayer. And when she does this, this amazing thing, what's crazy is when she does this, the economies collide. Judas and one of the Gospels and the disciples all go, why did you do this? Why this waste? You could have used this to spend on the poor. Imagine like someone coming in here for the first time and, and Jesus was up here speaking and he's like, here's $70,000 and we walks out and we never know who this person is, and you're like, you could have set free refugees, you could have set free the, the, the incarceration, you could have done so many things for people that are incarcerated in prison, you could have helped the homeless. Why did you just drop this at Jesus' feet? And what happens is, what I want us to see this morning is that when we as the kingdom of God spend time wasting our time in God's presence, economies collide. See, what the world sees as waste, because there's nothing really that efficient with prayer. We live in an economy of efficiency, but God's economy is an economy of waste. You see that? That God's, the, 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 what prayer is, is essentially wasting time in God's presence. That, that, that we are wasting resources in God's presence, the sense of, of, of what many in the world would call as wasteful, living a life of waste, uh, as a Christian, a life like this is, is, is people would look at us as why we're we even here. It's wasteful. Uh, 
And so when we are spending time basking in God's presence, what we are doing is we are letting the economies collide, the economy of efficiency and the economy of waste, which is God's economy. His economy is not one of efficiency. It's not one of, that makes sense. It's not one that you can measure or calculate. And what I want to do really is just, I've got two really simple points um, this morning. You know, sometimes there's, there's messages and truths about God's word that just kind of shape you and transform your life. Um, all of us may have those key moments. Uh, and, and today's message, I just really want us to be overwhelmed again by the love of God. I don't, do you remember the, the first time you were just overwhelmed and wrecked by God's love? The very first time? I remember the very first time I was um, 10 years old. I was, I was in, a, in a church service, a night service, and um, my family was gathering. Uh, and, and, and weird. I mean, there's very few times that God's presence felt so um, heavy and yet light at the same time. But I remember as a 10-year-old, uh, my family praying for my dad to come to know Jesus, and I heard a train in the background, and it was a super loud train, and, um, and I heard God say, like, I want you, you to know me, Brian. Just really visible, really just overwhelmed. I went in the car and told my family, and they're like, I'm like, did you hear the train? They're like, there was no train. <laughs> and just an overwhelming amount of God's love upon us. So first, what I want to show us is um, prayer is, first of all, all about love. Prayer is all about love. I just have two points today, really simple. Prayer is all about the love of God, and prayer is love for God. Um, first, prayer is all about God's love. So Mary, um, before I get ahead of myself, she uh, would have broken this perfume out of a response of how much she's seen God's love. She would have saw Lazarus raised from the dead. She surely would have saw how much God loved him. She would have saw Jesus heal uh, people that are demon-possessed and saw how much they loved him. She saw Jesus uh, talk to Jairus, who was a Roman centurion, who said, Jesus, just say the word that my son is healed, and I believe. And he, Jesus says, there's no one who's had faith like that in all of Israel. And then he goes home and the son is healed. And Mary, this woman, Mary, has seen that kind of love. She's experienced the very love firsthand where Martha was busy, busy in exhaustion and serving in hurry, trying to prepare the house. And Mary was just experiencing just the overwhelming acceptance of God's love. And so uh, before anything of this act, before we can give anything out to God, prayer is not about dressing ourselves up. It's first becoming undressed before God in his presence. The prayer before filling out and pressing out and pouring out is first about being poured into. And the place we do that is in our hiddenness. And I think Mary, at some point, experienced this in the hidden place, in the secret place. And the secret place is where we experience God's love like this, and that's prayer. Prayer is really just one thing. It's beholding the love of God. That, that is all prayer is. That's why we talk about contemplative prayer here, because before we go talking, and yes, we want to pray for revival and for kingdom come and for God to do it again, and we talk about that a lot. I'm going to get to that. But before we do any of that, we just sit and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, that we receive God's love before anything. Do you know what's the goofiest, silliest, most dumb thing that we can do is make the foundation of Christianity what we do for God? Can you, you know how goofy that is? That, that 
You think God, that we're here sacrificing our time on Sunday at 1030? Do you think God's like, oh, man, that's amazing. What a sacrifice. I'm amazed. Anything we do for God we, is not the foundation of God's, our relationship with him. That we, why do we gather? Why do we gather? Some of us gather here because of fear, right? Fear we're going to miss out or, or fear of some kind of religious um, God who will be disappointed with us. Some of us gather out of habit, just what you're supposed to do. It's what we've always done. It's what I was taught to do is you need to go to church and, and give time to God and, and learn and, and, and those kind of things. Others of us, we have some sense of wanting to be warmed by the fire that is God's presence. But let's be honest, a lot of us want to get close enough to the fire to stay warm. But none of us, none of us want to plunge into the overwhelming, extravagant love that is of God, that is a fire that will consume us and transform us to never be the same again. We don't want to get that close to the overwhelming, what G.K. Chesterton called the furious love affair that God has for us. That, do you believe that? I know you know that. I know you've heard that. That God loves you, not the person sitting next to you. Not that God loves the church. I'm not talking about that God loves uh, the humanity. That God loves you sitting right where you are passionately and personally and powerfully. When's the last time you've been wrecked by that kind of love? When's the last time you've been just completely in a position, fetal position because of that love? When's the last time you had to pull over your car because you couldn't drive anymore because of that love? That your lip quivered and that you couldn't breathe because tears were pouring down because you were just overwhelmed by that kind of love? That's the kind of love Mary experienced. That right now, do you know that God loves you right now, not as you should be, but as you are? That he loves you right as you are, not as you should be, because none of us in this room, on this side of heaven, will ever be as we should be. Ever. That he loves you as you are, not as you should be. This, and, and think about, is the good news of Jesus what we can do for God? That How silly that is, is that, that all that we could do for him, all the calls of what we should do, is that what the good news is about? Is that what the kingdom message is about? That we as Christians will be a community that gather to church on Sunday, read our Bible every once in a while, smile a lot, root for the Cubs, get along with everybody, smile, be nice? Is that why Jesus went to the bleak crucifixion, have his skin plucked off of his back? Is that why he rose exponentially from the dead? Is that why he came and created a people so to make us nice people? He had one purpose, and that was Pentecost, to pour out his spirit of love on us. To pour out his spirit of love on us. That's the only purpose, to make us brand new creations, a community of prophets and professional lovers. A community of people surrendered to the mystery of the spirit, people who submit to the powerful, mighty words of God, to live in the center of that flame I talked about, to be consumed, that purifies and sets everything along a glow with it. And that's what it means to be a Christian. It never begins with what we do for God. It always begins with what God has done for us. we got to remember that, church. If we forget that, we have forgotten the whole reason we're here, the great, wonderful things God dreams for us. So when God shows up in your lives this morning, all that he asks of you right now, the only thing he's asking of all of us is that you would be astonished that your jaw would drop and you would be amazed at the all-encompassing love of God. 
That's all I ask of you. That you would be wrecked. That you would see the wasteful love of God that, that he did on the cross. How wasteful was it to let God die as a criminal on a cross? What waste? That's the economy of God, waste. The economy of this world is efficiency. And so I pray that you would just know that love today, that you would experience that love. Now, here's a test for you to know if you are living and abiding in that love. Suppose the doors of the back open, right? Cold breeze comes in, of course. Jesus walks down the aisle. Jesus, you're here. Oh my gosh, we all bow down. We freak out. He comes up to the podium and he spots you and he looks at you and he comes and sits right down next to you and he looks you dead in the eyes, what does his face and countenance say about you? So ask yourself that question. Jesus is here right now. He comes. He looks you straight in the eyes. What is he saying to you? Is he saying, I'm sick and tired of your broken promises, your hypocrisy. You're constantly telling me you're going to change, and you never do. You keep making the same mistakes. You keep having bouts of anger. You keep struggling with the same addictions. Is that what he says to you? Does he, say, does he look at you in the eyes and say, repent? Or does he sit and look at you and go, you know what? Thank you. I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you that when you saw my love, you received it in faith. And I'm so proud of you. I know the other day you had a horrible day. You were anxious and worried, but you took time to look down at that child and just gave a little smile at that child. And I'm just proud of the way you live. And you know, there's only one thing you can do to ever disappoint me. The only thing you could ever do to disappoint me is to forget and stop believing that I've forgiven all of your sins in the past and I will forgive all of your sins in the future, so much so that I don't, I'm having a foggy memory. I don't know if I even remember them enough. But I love you so much, I've forgiven everything of you. And that's the only thing you can do to disappoint me right now. Is that the God you know? Is that the God that you still love, that you, that you first fell in love with? Is that the God you still sing to? Because before prayer is anything else, prayer is receiving that kind of love. That's why we pray. And it's always been that, that God would come to you and say, do you know I've loved you from all eternity? That Romans 8 says there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing in creation or, cre- or, or all of God's angels or anything here, nothing can separate you. That's the kind of feedback. And if Jesus is looking at you and you're sensing any sense of non-affirming feedback from Jesus, you will live a life of religion that will cause you to live an old person to become grumpy and angry and bitter and unforgiving. Because if that's your version of Jesus, there is no joy in following Jesus. If, when he looks at you, he has a non-affirming presence of you. Jesus' presence towards you is affirming you. So before we do anything today, we need to see that Mary was overwhelmed by God's love. Overwhelmed by God's love. And in that, in turn, caused her to do the second thing, that prayer is a love for God. That Mary took this overwhelming amount of love that she had, that she broke this everything she had and poured it all over Jesus. Why this waste? And that's what prayer is is just this response of his love. You see, there's so many books on prayer. There's a few of them I like, a few of them I don't. But most books of prayer are about technique. How do you make pray prayers that will give you power? How do you pray prayers that will get you this? There's not, I haven't seen one prayer book that's on waste. 
that's on wasting time, basking in the unforgettable, undeniable love of God that says, I love you in your fidelity and infidelity. I love you when the sun is high and when the, when the moon is out. I love you no matter what you've done or what you think you'll do. I love you no matter what you've done last night or over the whole rest of your life. I love you even all the, for all the horrible things you're going to do in the future. I love you that much. That's the kind of love he has for you. And when Mary receives this kind of love, she's sitting there and does this awkward thing of wasting all that she has back for God. This kind of passionate, passionate love for God. So prayer as a church, I believe we need these two movements. We need these seasons of of times of in the hidden place, of contemplating the beauty of God, right? Because whatever you do in private is what's going to come out in public. And then in the public space, we kind of bring that contemplative receiving of all God's love, and we come and we just let it out in passionate, Love and prayer for praying heaven to come down on earth as it is in heaven. The kind of prayer that would call people that would say, you look very silly. The kind of prayer that would say, this is ridiculous. This is wasteful kind of living. That kind of passionate prayer. A prayer that people would call wasteful. A life that would be called wasteful. A life that would say, you know what, I'm going to use my vacation time to go serve the least of these. A kind of life that would say, I'm going to buy the cheapest car. I'm going to take all the other money I would just spend on the car and give it away to Jesus. A kind of life that people would go, that's reckless. That's silly. That's awkward. Are you guys following me? It's good stuff. Um, God's love. And the beautiful thing is, is God's, what happens in that hidden place is so important. It's so important to have time with the, in the hidden place. How much time, you know, you think about, we see uh, so many things as normal in society, right? You know, it's easy to pick on, on binge watching, but binge watching a show, <laughs> completely normal. Exercising for an hour a day, normal. Spending weeks and tons of money on vacation, great. Spending an hour in God's presence? Whoa. Crazy, weird, fanatical. And so this overwhelming sense of God's love, what Mary brought to it is this sense of passion. Now, I have to say, why? I had to ask myself this reason. Why do we have such a struggle with passion? And what I think for myself and for you maybe it is too is that a passionate life prophetically critiques us. Think about it. When's the last time you saw someone extremely passionate letting it all out for Jesus, whether in prayer or in living? We're tempted to critique it because it confronts our apathy. It makes us angry. It makes us critique it. Oh, well, they're not doing this, or I bet you this is happening in their life. And, oh, and we begin to critique it because somehow it confronts my apathy. I know it does me. Anybody else? And so Mary's reckless life, this wasteful life, confronts the rest of the disciples' apathy. They're like, we're just hanging out, eating bread, ready for this whole Passover. I'm ready for my lamb. I don't know what you're doing, but man, this could have been used for the poor. And what they get is a debate, and she gets God's presence. She gets, Jesus looks at her and says, this is beautiful, and she's anointed my body for my death. 
She's anointed my, the, the king, the king we worship. God is a jealous God. Many of you probably heard that. Um, years ago, Oprah was like weirded out by that jealous. Like, how could God be jealous of me? But what that phrase means is that God is jealous for our attention. That in the middle of your day, that God wants to spend time with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to listen to you. That's the God that wants to know you. And honestly, what's weird about God, who is powerful enough to create the universe, who's strong enough to hold the oceans in his hands and to set them onto the earth, who's wise enough to know everything, that kind of God says, I actually just want your attention for a little bit. And that's all he wants. All he wants. To give you and bless you with his ferocious love affair that is of him. That is of his death, that he's blessed you upon you. So this woman, Mary, she has a sense of, of overwhelming amount of love back to God. She couldn't get over the fact that she was the only one sitting there who couldn't get over the fact of who she was sitting with. When love holds its proper place, everything else just happens. We don't have to worry about the rest. The passionate prayer will come. Our best secret is the fact that if we have presence in God's church... We'll have the kingdom in the city. That if we experience God's presence here, we'll have that. And then we'll, we'll, but we've got to have a Christianity that is foundational on the love of God and nothing else. Nothing else. One of my favorite uh, movies is Dead Poet Society. You guys remember that movie? Robin Williams, awesome. Go drive on Milwaukee Avenue. Go take a picture in front of the mural sometime. Um, and uh, but I love Dead Poet Society. There's this moment where Robin Williams gathers the class, and I believe it's Ethan Hawke, and he's sitting there, and it's this famous scene, and he says, he says, you see this page? He says, rip it up. And he rips it. He's like, go ahead, rip it up. And they start ripping it, and ripping this book up, and it's like this horrible line. It's not poetic. And then the other professor comes in and says, what's going on in here? What's happening? And Robin Williams is like, I don't hear the ripping. Keep ripping, gentlemen. Keep ripping. And he says this line. He goes, keep ripping, gentlemen. This is a battle, a war. The casualties could be your hearts and souls. And I believe for a lot of us, we've developed a Christianity a, world, a, a model of Christianity in which the casualty is your heart and soul. That what God wants to do today, this morning, is that any model of discipleship that does not have the love of God, that says, I love you not as you are, I love you not as you should be, but as you are, I mean, any kind of love like that, as the foundation, he says, take that model of discipleship and rip it up. Rip it up. Any kind of thing that says you must, you ought, you should, rip it up right now until you have the love of God as the foundation of your relationship with Jesus. And all other things must fade. And so this Mary is this model disciple for us. She models for us the kind of love that we should have for God. She expresses what we see in 1 John 4, that we love because God first loved us. Our love of Jesus is simply the appropriate response to his love for us. And this woman is well aware of his love, so she loved him back. This nard was an oil from, from like this, this, this sweet smelling aroma. 
that, 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 that beautiful picture of anointing Jesus with the aroma of Christ in the mixture of this sacrifice and of God's love spilling out and being the aroma of the church. The, the scriptures say that we are to be the aroma of Christ, but too often the church is too busy just trying to fake being that aroma trying to develop programs and systems and things to f- pretend to be this aroma of Christ, when he says, just go experience God's love and you'll be the aroma of Christ. It reminds me of King David in 2 Samuel 24 when someone offered to give him animals. They said, hey, let me give you some animals as a sacrifice, David. And David said, I won't offer to God anything that doesn't cost me nothing. The cost, even the extravagance, was evidence of the depth of her love in return. And so this is the kind of love, now, not only does passionate pursuit of God, this passionate pursuit confront us and, and be a prophetic critique in us. It, it, when we have a passionate love for God, it produces controversy like she did. Why this waste? Why this waste? So often we're uncomfortable with this kind of passionate love. And I think... Um, and some of us may be wrestling with this. How do we get there? How do we, how do we die to these things that are in the way of our love of God? How do we remove these things that are blockades to the things that, like Paul says, I do what I don't want to do? I love what Thomas Chalmers says, the great uh, Puritan, says that we must have an explosive power of a new affection. That we need to have this fact that this love of God would melt our hearts to such a degree that all other lesser loves are just pale in comparison. It reminds me of Romeo and Juliet. Right? Like, how did Romeo get rid of Rosalind? Some of you are like, who's Rosalind? You're like, well, Rosalind was who Romeo was in love with. He's pining over to his friend's friend, and his friend was like, hey, we're going to go to this party, and there's going to be a whole lot more beautiful girls that are way hotter than Rosalind. That's like the Brian Fulton translation. <laughs> and he says, the all-seeing son has never seen the match of Rosalind since the day began, the world began. And so he goes to this party, and he sees Juliet, and then he later sneaks into his yard, her yard, and he says, you know, but soft. What light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and the sun is risen, and strike down the pale moon that is sick and pale with grief, for thou her maid is far more fair than she, right? So he's like, Rosalind who? So how do we, how do we have this, this thing that, that when we do what we don't want to do, we don't white-knuckle it, we don't, um, yeah, we need disciplines, but at the root of it, at the heart of it, is we have to have the explosive power of a new affection. We have to have the explosive power of a love affair, the furious love affair of Jesus, enter our heart and be so overwhelmed that it wrecks us that we want nothing less, nothing else. All we want is to receive God's love, and that changes everything. And that's prayer. And that is prayer. And if we did that, church, if we did that and only that for 30 years, we would be God would say, well, I was already pleased with you no matter what you do, but God would say, that really does make me happy. You know, and, and all of us should have this mindset. God loves everybody, but I'm his favorite. <laughs> I know it sounds so bad theologically, <laughs> but it should be so true experientially that we know that God loves us that much. I um, just want to close with this last um, story on prayer. Um, Brennan Manning um, he talks a lot about this, this, this crazy love of God, but he tells a story. When he lived in New Orleans, there was a woman who knocked on his door. Uh, and she knocked on his door, and she says, excuse me, are, are, are you Brennan? And he says, yes. And she says, well, I, I don't know you, but a friend of mine told me to find you. And 
And she starts to cry. And he says, what is it? Can I help you? And she says, yes, uh, my father is sick. Uh, I don't think he has many days left. And I've been asking my pastor to come pray for him, but I think my, prayer, my pastor's really busy with sermon preparations and administrative agendas and things like that. So he hasn't come to pray for him. He keeps saying he will, but he hasn't. Would you come pray for my, my dad? And he goes, yes, I'll, I'll be there in 10 minutes. So he comes, he knocks on the door, he, opens, he, he goes to the hospital, sees the, the guy, and he sees an empty chair, and he thinks that's weird. And he comes and he says, hi, are, are, you, um, are you expecting anyone? He goes, no. He goes, oh, I'm sorry, I, I got the wrong room. I saw the empty chair. I, I got the wrong assumption. He goes, no, 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 come in, come in. He goes, you see that empty chair? See, you, you, you're here to pray for me. He said, Brennan, um, years ago, I asked my pastor, how do I pray? And um, I, ha- I had the nerve one day to finally tell him, Pastor, your prayers, I'm getting zero zilch out of your sermons on prayer. Like, your sermons on prayer, I'm not getting anything from them. I don't know how to pray. And so he says, his pastor's like, let me give you Zon Voltsevar's book on prayer. It's the best 20th century Swiss theologian's book on prayer. Go read this, and you'll learn about prayer. So he goes home, he opens the book, he starts to read it. He says, Brennan, I, I mean, the first page, I had to look in the dictionary for like 11 words. I didn't understand a thing this thing was saying. He says, one day, about four years ago, this guy, a friend of mine, he's not even religious. He, said, I, he tells me, Brennan, prayer is really easy. You just talk to God. He says, what you do is you just pull up a chair, an empty chair, and then you just, you just sense God, Jesus sitting there right with you. And Jesus promises he's with you always, so you know it's true. He's there. And you just begin to talk and have a relationship with him. And he says, Brennan, I've been using this chair. I've been, for the last four years, for every day for two hours, spending time with Jesus, talking to him in this chair. He said, Brennan, is that prayer? <laughs> and, and Brennan's like, that is the most unsophisticated, simple, uncomplicated thing. And if that's not prayer, nothing is. He goes, oh, thank you. I, I just wasn't sure. And so he, he prays over him. He knows some of the oil. He leaves. Um, and then his, the daughter calls. Daughter calls him um, and says, uh, hey, uh, I think my dad's gone downhill. Um, the, 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 he's not doing well. Um, and then later on, he finds out that the man passed away. The woman calls Brennan back again. She goes, it's weird. I just went over and visited him. Totally fine. Tells me his cheesy jokes. I leave. I go get him some food. I come back, and he's passed away. But something strange happened, really weird. When I came back in the room and saw him dead, his head was in an empty chair. And that's how I found him dead. And, and so this guy just goes in God's presence. Just do you have a relationship with God like that? Do you know him in that kind of way? That's, that's, the, that's the invitation today. And as the band comes up and plays, I just want to say this, that when we in these kind of messages, when we in sermons on Sundays, I feel like lately there's like just an overwhelming heaviness sometimes, right? There's an overwhelming heaviness. Sometimes we feel convicted, like I'm not spending enough time with Jesus. Sometimes we just feel like, like, uh, yeah, conviction. We, we, we think God maybe is wanting us to confess a bunch of things. And, and I just want to invite us to, to twist that a little bit, that we would not experience the heaviness of God this morning, that we would experience the lightness of God. That, that we would ex- celebrate his love this morning. That that's what we would do. We'd celebrate how much he loves us. So we would experience the lightness of God in response. And so we're going to do what we always do. We're going to have communion available. Um, you can come and, and take the bread and, and the wine or the, or the juice and, and, and come and take God's presence. The beautiful thing about this story of Mary is this was seven days before Jesus' death. And that anointment, 
that perfume, I believe, was still on Jesus' body when he died on the cross. He says, she's anointed me for my burial. Still there. Isn't that crazy? Her love for God, it says, will be told any time the story of Jesus is told, this story will be remembered. Our passion for God, our love for God, and response to his love for us will last for eternity. That we may have like the footprint in the story, the little, little bitty foot, footprint, the little footnote in the grand story of God somewhere in there. But let's just experience his likeness this morning. And um, if you, if we're going to have some prayer leaders up here. Uh, if you guys could go ahead and come on up if you're, you're a prayer leader. And we just want to, um, I just want to ask a simple thing. Um, if you are sensing any kind of longing towards God, uh, if you are just any kind of fresh hunger uh, towards God, as, we, as you take communion, would you stop by and be prayed over? And I know you could easily just be like, yeah, I'm sensing some general hunger towards God, but I'm not going to do that. I just want you to know that you're, you, you're potentially robbing this community of faith uh, when you do that. Uh, we're, we're robbing uh, the stirring of faith in this place. We're robbing the things that God may want to do and pour out on us. Um, so if God's stirring any hunger in you, say, I want, you, don't, you can say, like, this is what I'm hungry for, or this is what I'm longing for, or just general hunger, you're not sure. Anything he's stirring, you just stop by to receive prayer so we can just pray God's love over you. Amen? God, um, let's pray. God, we, we thank you so much that you love us, not as we should be, but as we are. That there is nothing we can do to separate us from your love. There's nothing. And I know we hear this all the time, that there's nothing we can do to make you love us more or less. But God, it is so true. Some of you, you feel like your life is a train wreck. You feel like you can't get your life right. You can't live the right way. Like You are a perfect match for God's love. You are uh, exactly what God wants to love and who God wants to love right now. Just receive that right now. This girl wasted a year's wages. Jesus wasted his whole life on us. He was stripped of every bit of power. In his death, he spilled his blood on her on our behalf. And at the end of our life, I believe there will only be one thing asked of us is did you receive my love? God takes it so personally when we waste our love on him. So let's just stand respond together and sing worship and stir up hunger. If anything's resonating with you in your spirit, please come.